You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. The World Junior Championships of Men's Hockey begin today in Edmonton. This tournament will be very different than in past years. And no, that's not because they're playing in August instead of December. A stunning admission at a committee hearing into an alleged gang rape by junior hockey players at a Hockey Canada Foundation charity event in 2018. Two of Canada's men's junior hockey teams are now under police investigation following additional sexual assault allegations, including one from 2003. Hockey Canada officials were back in the hot seat today. A Commons committee is investigating how the organization handled multiple allegations of sexual Assault. Nine settlement payments have been made, totaling $7.6 million. The chair of the Hockey Canada board, Michael Brendamour, is resigning from his post effective immediately. These are, of course, not the first allegations of sexual assault against a hockey player, nor are they the first accusations of leaders and officials trying to keep ugly behavior from the public. We've seen this before. But these allegations each involve several members of Canadian World Junior teams. The details of them, which we won't repeat here, are truly awful. And look, it is worth mentioning here that these are members of Canada's World Junior teams. Theoretically, at least, some of the best of our boys. The ones we settle down to watch as a family on Boxing Day. The ones hockey parents hold up as examples for their kids. And of course, the ones raised to near-mythical status by Hockey Canada and by a whole lot of other people who make a whole lot of money from this tournament every year. That myth is gone now. A reckoning is here. Is Canada's national identity so interwoven with tournaments just like this? Ready for that? And why did it take this, these allegations, to finally get us here, when the warning signs have been there all along? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Michael Grange is a columnist for Sportsnet. He appears on radio and TV and podcasts, and he wrote recently about the Hockey Canada myth and how it shattered this summer. Hey, Michael. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. The uh, World Junior Championships begin today in August, which is weird, first of all. But can you begin... Maybe uh, as you kind of did in your column by outlining the typical Canadian ritual that usually surrounds this tournament. Yeah, the World Juniors is a kind of a fascinating thing, right? It didn't exist uh, prior to the kind of early 1980s uh, in, in the form we know it now. And over that time became kind of a cultural juggernaut, at least a touchstone. And You know, it was always held over the holiday season and the puck would drop on Boxing Day. And, you know, on New Year's Eve, there'd always be a big rivalry game, typically against the U.S. or Russia. And then the finals and the semifinals would play out after that. And the whole thing would wrap up and kind of winter break would be over and everyone would be back at school. And 
it had uh, it kind of checked every box, right? People were looking thing for things to do. It was a wholesome uh, family thing, and it was uh, you know there was the prospect of of Canada winning, and also you know the, you're seeing the future play out before your eyes. So I think it was a really powerful, or is a really powerful myth making machine. And for the most part, we've all been pretty happy to subscribe to it, right? Because it's it feels good. Now that sounds wonderful and typically Canadian and and it all sounds very organic. Is it really organic as you mentioned this didn't become a big thing until the 80s it really became a humongous thing over the course of the 90s. Um how did it really become such a cultural touchstone aside from the fact that we're Canadian and we love hockey around Christmas. You know, I think the big step that was taken was TSN became a broadcasting partner with Hockey Canada and, you know, recognized it for what it was potentially and all credit to them and created a huge spectacle around it. And Hockey Canada couldn't be happy to go along, right? Like, I mean, it became Hockey Canada's single largest source of revenue, right? Like, I mean, for all the reasons I outlined, the cream of the crop in corporate Canada, all the leading brands were kind of falling over themselves to be associated with it as well. Um, it was just too good a property and too well represented presented to stay away from. And again, you get that cop- captive audience, which in a uh, increasingly fragmented uh, universe it becomes even more powerful. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you know that that's the other side of this is all the wholesomeness of this and the myth making became like kitty litter for corporate Canada and uh, became, you know, a cash cow for Hockey Canada. Now, how different, and I've already mentioned we're playing it in August, aside from around Christmas, but how different is this year's tournament uh, on which the puck drops today going to be? Well, it's being played out under a cloud, and uh, there couldn't be many Canadians who aren't familiar with the the broad strokes of, of uh, uh, you know, the general themes of, of, of why you have two different teams, uh, world junior teams, that have been credibly associated with uh, sexual assault. And, you know, one was the 2018 world junior team that, and it was a, an event that in, in the summer at a fundraising event, and eight players have been implicated uh, by the victim. And the other was the 2003 team where six players are alleged to have uh, engaged in what's clearly a crime, if it's uh, you know proven that way, during the world tournament itself in Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia. And I think you know any allegations like this are always very very disturbing for very obvious reasons. But I think what sets these apart a little bit, at least in my mind, I can't speak for everybody, is. You know, you have eight players from one team and six from another, and these teams, I believe, have rosters of 21 or 22. So basically a third of these two rosters put together were or are alleged to have taken part in these assaults to some degree or another. And, you know, you can only imagine there had to be probably more people who were at least somehow had knowledge of them or mm-hmm. were adjacent to them in some shape or form. Again, we don't know all those details. And so... I think what really is so disturbing is, you know, if this was one player or two, I wouldn't minimize it. Certainly you can't minimize it on behalf of the victim. It You can kind of 
sort of make the argument it's you know a couple of bad apples right and that doesn't excuse anything but in this instance when you have like a significant percentage of these rosters and keep in mind i think part of going back to that myth making element we talked about um these are the best of the best best of the brightest they're you know the kids who have kind of been elevated through the minor hockey system they're the, the best players obviously they're the typically the ones who wore the captain's letters and you know, have been feted at every single stage. And they're sold to us as future NHLers during this tournament. Yeah, to me, that's not even, you know, that's almost the, the, the secondary element of this. Yeah, they're future NHLers, but it's more that if you've had families, if, you're, if your family's been engaged in minor hockey, and mine has, um, you know, they're the ones that were on the best teams, that were the best on the best teams, that mm-hmm. if you follow this through, they should be representative of whatever value system that we hold dear. And instead, you have, a, like we said, a significant minority, we'll say that at least, but a significant number of players on these rosters engaging in something heinous. And, you know, and then the follow from all of that where people either knew and didn't say anything, uh, people have been hesitant to come forward, and all the things associated with that, you know, it's 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 really hard to look at the event that's unfolding this week. And certainly it'll be maybe resonate even more when uh, they get back on schedule at Christmas 2022-23 and, and look at it exactly the same way. Like it's going to be very difficult for the broadcasters and Hockey Canada and, you know, obviously the sponsors have made their feelings known to to kind of sell and for others to buy in to this myth that has made this thing such a juggernaut in the first place. And, and we'll spare listeners the details of these allegations. Um, they're readily available. Uh, credit to Rick Westhead at TSN, who's uh, been reporting on this since the very beginning. Um, but these, these two scandals obviously are the worst news to come out of hockey recently, but also can you maybe explain the fallout that that myth has seen since uh, these allegations were revealed? Because a number of things have happened. Number one, uh, Corporate Canada has pushed themselves away from Hockey Canada. Um, So, you know, all those brands that have been so closely tied with junior hockey and and the World Juniors have put themselves at arm's length. They haven't exactly divorced yet, but they are separated. <laughs> right. Uh, the Canadian government, through their parliamentary committee this summer, has you know taken a fairly unusual step in terms of the speed of which all this has happened, and you know the season. Right. Like I mean, MPs like to take their summers off too, and uh, you know that they've you know they've been in session, I believe, twice, and they expect to be in session again in September, uh, investigating. You know, what Hockey Canada knew, what steps they took to address these issues, um, if there was a cover-up, to what extent it went on. Mm. And, you know, I think it's fairly evident. I think there's been more, at least one resignation. I think there's, you know, likely going to be more to follow. But, you know, Hockey Canada is being, you know, they're being tested. They're being uh, thoroughly, you know, examined for what systemic elements may have led to this kind of thing and, and, you know, what systemic elements have prevented it from being dealt with earlier. It's only come to light because other people have brought it to light. We were in this process with the 2018 team and then the 2003 incident. Like, I don't know what the right way to say it is, but if anything seems even more egregious, more, 
like nightmarish, you know, and, and that came to light. And, um, you know, now criminal investigations in the case of the, the 2018 team have been reopened. There, there was originally investigated and shelved. And then I think it's been open for the first time in the Halifax situation. So there's a lot more to come. I know you can maybe only speak for yourself as a hockey parent, but one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you was because of your piece on the myth that we build up that you've already kind of mentioned. What has all of this done to that myth this summer? Like speaking for you and for the hockey people you talk to, maybe, is it still possible to believe in the really good parts of the Canadian hockey myth? Um, right now it's difficult and, and I'm not necessarily saying that, that, that itself is a bad thing. You know, if we step away gently from, uh, the discussion around the victims and around the incidents themselves, because you don't want to minimize those in any shape or form. No. I feel like hockey, so to speak, big hockey, hockey Canada is, it's almost in like in the kind of an existential crisis here. Um, because the way we've related to hockey has often been under this grand myth, right? That, that hockey was dearly important to us, that it was a character-shaping um, ritual that we could go through individually or with our families, and somehow we'd all be the better for it. And it would, you know, it served as a way to bring us together. And we've seen that over and over again, be it World Junior Championship Games, be it, you know, certainly in 2010 in the Golden Goal, and and other moments we can point to and there's a lot of good in that and and i think you know when you're a parent and you've got you know young kids i mean clearly the example they need to follow should come from you and ideally it does but we outsource right like we're 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 looking for examples we're looking for um things that can engage our kids and kind of let them know you know, what, what's possible if you're willing to take certain steps or, you know, what, what it requires to, to be your best and, and all those kinds of messages, which we rely on maybe as parents. And like I say, we outsource them sometimes and hockey has been probably in Canada been the, <laughs> the one that, that probably we, people have relied on the most for various reasons. Sure. And so I think in a healthy way, um, it's probably a good time to reflect on that a little bit. When we make those choices, understand exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it. And maybe extending this a little bit beyond hockey, because I will say this much, like my job is to be around elite athletics. I pay attention to elite athletics. And I think anyone who's kind of been witness to, uh, I guess, how the sausage gets made, so to speak, you have to understand, like name a sport and we can find a scandal, Hmm. be it swimming, gymnastics, uh, skiing, (laughs) um, you know, we can all go down that list. So I think hockey sometimes, because of its prominence, it takes a lot more heat um, routinely than, right. and I think a lot of other uh, endeavors um, get off kind of lightly in this respect. I, I'm not sure there's anything particularly unique about hockey that that creates scandal. I, I think the scandals are there, and we pay attention to them because they're hockey. You know, and we're now we're talking about you know the fabric of a country and. There's a kind of a nation-building element to, that hockey's traditionally associated with, going right back to, you know, the Summit Series in '72 and maybe even before that, and you know the myth of you know Gordie Howe on the frozen ponds in 
you know, in, in Saskatchewan, right? We've invested clearly a lot of our national identity in this. We have. And, 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 it, and I think there was a lot that positive that came out of it. But I think the identity of the country is changing by the minute. And the timing of this for hockey um, is, is challenging because, you know, when something like this happens, you know, it gets harder and harder for them to sell their story. And, and I think typically would get a little bit harder for people to buy into that story. And I should add this as a caveat, like the kids and families who are involved this, this week in Edmonton and who are going to be involved uh, in December, January in Halifax, you know, they don't deserve any of this, right? Like none of their boys have been accused of anything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I happen to know several of the families and uh, they're great people who've done everything possible they can for their kids. And, you know, it is a shame that, you know, through reasons completely independent of them, you know, there's their moment, which should be, you know, a glorious moment because it is a very special thing to reach this level um, is, is somehow sullied, right? So we should mention that. But I think going forward, it's going to be a challenge for Hockey Canada to maintain its primacy. And, uh, you know, and, and for every event like this, it's going to make it that much more difficult still. How did this myth survive for so long in the first place? Because we've been doing this show for four years, and I think we've done a couple of episodes every year about scandals in hockey, whether it's uh, abuse, dressing room culture, uh, silence from coaches and management who should probably be speaking out. Like this is, the scale of these allegations is different, but this doesn't actually feel like that different from some of the stories that have emerged from professional and and high-level junior hockey over the last several years? Yeah, I think that's a fair observation. Um, my answer to that would be, I think things have been chipping away at hockey for a long time now. And it's, you know, there's even broader cultural forces at work than, than you know, like kind of bouncing from scandal to scandal. Mm -hmm. So, So how has it continued? I would say... So many things that have happened before, I think you can kind of make the case that, uh, sure, there's some bad things going on in hockey, but, you know, when they do surface, they're more, you can kind of isolate them as, as one-offs or exceptions, accurately or not, and, and fairly or not. Hmm. And I think why this one is different is because, to me, there's a couple of things. One, it is the, like, these, this is the the pinnacle. This isn't you know, a junior hockey team and, you know, kind of somewhere in Saskatchewan or, you know, it's not one rogue individual. Right. Uh, I go back to the numbers and to the silence and that it's occurred like under the umbrella of the most singularly elite, special pinnacle moment for the sport outside of, let's say, the Stanley Cup final. You know, to kind of extend it a little bit, these are kind of, are all our sons, right? Like sure. these are, you know, if you've got a kid in hockey and, and a kid in elite sports, like it's very easy to kind of relate to the journey some of these guys on fairly or not or accurately or not. Just speaking for myself, what is so deeply disturbing about this, and again, uh, I'll leave the issues that the victims are dealing with, you know, aside, right? Because that's, that's a different category. But I think what's so troubling is, 
you know, a big reason uh, why we value sports so highly and in Canada we value hockey so highly is that it is character building. It is leadership development. It is understanding uh, that you've got to stand up and stay strong under a certain amount of adversity, sometimes a lot of adversity. And the concept <laughs> is, you know, testing yourself in these kind of false constructs, which is what they are, right? Like, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, these, these things really aren't attached to anything significant. Right. But if you test yourself, you're better able to uh, go out into a world that's kind of crazy and unpredictable and, and you've, you can do so with a bit of confidence. And maybe as parents, you can send them out into the world with a little bit of, you know, hope, <laughs> right? That, that things are going to be okay. And, and so what really bothers me is that of the eight kids on this 2018 team, or of the six kids on the, the six kids who are now well-grown adults on the 2003 team and anyone who's adjacent to any of those events, no one stood up and said, guys, this is ridiculous. Guys, this is bad. We got to stop. Uh, you know, this isn't right. Not one. Hmm. And if I was in a decision-making place for hockey, if I was in a decision-making place for sport, that's what I would zero in on is things do go off the rails sometimes and they only stay that way if no one says anything. And I think if you're a parent looking at all of this going, you invest in this so that your kids become better people and better prepared people. And instead, you know, you have, in one case, eight of the best and brightest, most gifted, talented, hardworking, dedicated among us, and not one of them stood up for the victim um, in real time. And subsequently, when people have spoken up, it's generally to say, it wasn't me. And then in the 2003 case, same thing. And that really should cause people to wonder and should cause people within the hockey firmament to wonder what messages are we really delivering? How are they being heard? Who is delivering them? Why are they not the right messages? And, is, you know, so often, you know, being part of a team and hockey, I think in some ways, quite rightly, is viewed as the ultimate team sport because, you know, you're only as good as your weakest link. People do have to buy in and sacrifice. And these are wonderful things. So why then, with all those principles so deeply ingrained in theory, you know, why does it only apply to your team and your teammates? Why can't it apply to people weaker than you, people who need you in a crisis? And, you know, I think that to me would be something that Hockey Canada really needs to examine. And, you know, I know they're doing a lot of stuff around consent training and uh, diversity and inclusion training. I know they're really trying to, to kind of, if they haven't already, to try and get ahead of, of uh, on some of these issues, which is admirable. But I think it boils down to being able to stand up, see what's right, see what's wrong, and speak up. And I think if one person in either of those environments had the conviction to recognize what was going on, why it was wrong, they can't all have been comfortable with it and speak up. So much of this could have been avoided. 
um, you know, and, 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 you know, the trajectory of the lives of a couple of victims probably would be very different today. And, um, that's to me, what it boils down to is if you're doing what it takes as a family to put your kid into elite sports, and in this case, elite hockey, you don't sit there and hope my kid's going to go to the NHL because it's absurd. The hope is that your kid is going to emerge from it as a, as a better person, a more, a stronger person, a person who uh, can stand up when things are difficult. And, you know, clearly, clearly, clearly in these two instances, that's been a massive, massive failure. And that's, to me, the heart of what um, needs to be fixed. That was powerful, Michael. Thank you for this. And uh, I guess we'll see. We'll see if anybody says anything at this World Juniors or if they just try to ignore it. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Michael Grange of Sportsnet. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca to find, yes, those several other episodes that I talked about, about bad behavior in hockey. The red flags have been flying for a while. You can talk to us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can also email us. I'm sure some of you will want to after this episode. That address is hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And of course, you can call us up and yell and scream or just thank us for doing a great job. Phone number is 416-935-5935. You can find The Big Story every single place you get your podcasts. You can rate us. You can review us. And of course, please do pass our show along to a friend. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.